Welcome to the Smart Cities World podcast. I'm Sarah Ray, editor at Smart Cities World, and today I'm with Chelsea Rustrum, who is the co-founder of Instigation Protocol, founder of the Blockchain for Good community, and the author of a book called It's a Shareable Life. Welcome, Chelsea. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. So uh, your first book, It's a Shareable Life, came out in 2013. 2014 when a lot of people were really just waking up to the significance of the sharing economy and I wondered what it was that made you become so fascinated with the idea and so early. Yeah it was even earlier than you might think. Uh, the book actually started about two years before the published date. Mm -hmm. So what excited me so much was seeing a different form and way of transaction and interaction of connecting with other individuals through an item, a service, um, a ride, sharing somebody's home, something of that nature, or even a shared office space. I just found that it created a whole new environment and way of thinking about business and transaction. And were there any uh, particular experiences that you had that made you think that this was something that something's going to be really big and change the way that we do things? Yeah, many. Uh, starting out, I was an entrepreneur growing up from the age of 14. I sort of accidentally started making money on the internet through a free stuff and couponing website that I built in about 24 hours. And by the time I was 17, I was, I was making more than my parents. So I, I grew up in a time where I grew up as the internet grew up essentially. And then you know, as a, as a young entrepreneur, it wasn't quite cool then. <laughs> yep. And uh, when co-working came to fruition, I joined one of the very first co-working spaces in the United States called Next Space. And one of my friends had started it. And I really just got involved from creating rituals, from like happy hours to the way that people interacted within the space. Um, and then I couchsurfed quite a bit actually. I used the website couchsurfing.org. It's now couchsurfing.com. And for those of you that don't know, it's a hospitality uh, website that connects people from all over the world to stay in each other's homes for free. And what's so interesting about this is that what I learned is that when you're giving or receiving, everybody is receiving. So say that I stay in someone's home and we make a meal together, they feel like they're receiving too, even though they're providing a roof over my head. Mm -hmm. So it created this scenario where I began to see exchange as a circle rather than a line. And it helped me to start, start to see that what we're actually transacting with is value. And maybe it's not a transaction at all. It's a way to have deeper relationships and trust with other individuals. And I saw this as the beginning of a peer-to-peer -peer revolution by which is uh, primarily crowd-based and at that time both global and grassroots and centered on humans, right? Centered on human connection. Mm -hmm. And that later changed um, and continues to change and uh, shape and form. But I think what remains the same is that we're still dealing with this question of what is value and how do we transfer value and how do we make meaning out of that? Yeah. Um, well, on Smart Cities World, we try to look at how um, all these different trends impact um, people living in cities and how, you know, what city leaders should be thinking about. And I wonder if you've thought about how this sharing economy trend 
is impacting cities now and perhaps could in the future and um, any areas that you think city leaders should be paying attention to? I mean, I think that cities are the ultimate platform for sharing, right? We've seen this with the sharing and peer-to-peer economy and regulation and policy and things of that nature. It's like everything from ride sharing to home sharing and everything in between has become a public policy, both uh, an issue uh, that's widely talked about and worked on, but also an opportunity for um, expansion and city leadership to get involved. But at a deeper level, I think in some ways it's cities' responsibility to think just like companies need to and an ecosystem mindset at this point, whereby they work with other cities to develop software and technologies that enable these things for citizen participation. And that could be everything from you know how we vote and how we choose in governance to creating open source uh, ride-sharing protocols and applications or even, you know, home cleaning services. There's no reason that these platforms need to have 30, 40%, you know, service margins when the people that are actually doing the work and providing their assets and resources are the ones that are providing the most value. So I think cities actually have the opportunity on the peer-to-peer ledge to play a really important and meaningful role and then of course when it comes to energy and energy sharing and you know and then there's incentives i mean we can talk about blockchain too like blockchain enables us to create currencies of value and incentives and programmable money by which we can you know incentivize citizens to activate and be interested in working on uh you know public policy things or creating community dinners and wellness and resilience within their local communities or even recycling or doing things that are meaningful for the growth and development of specific cities and their global connections to other cities. So I think, I think cities actually have a more vital role to play in the long run of the sharing economy than the platforms even themselves. And are you seeing any um, examples of of that or do you see any ways that um, they could start to make that move? Yeah, there's a number of things happening globally. I would say most of it right now is happening from the, you know, like let's dip our toe in the water or let's create a marketing campaign around sharing or say that this is something that we're doing and work toward it versus a whole holistic shift toward it. I mean, Seoul and Korea, you know, a number of years ago proclaimed themselves a sharing city and they are doing many things um, toward that goal. I don't remember what all of them are, but they've been working on quite a few like mobility things and, you know, incentivization and things of that nature. So there, there are ways that this is happening, but I think that it could be uh, deeper. There's also uh, initiatives, I believe, worldwide where cities are starting to collaborate. I think that there's actually a trend toward that now, which I didn't see five years ago. So that's an exciting shift to see as well, is that cities are actually saying, yeah, let's get together. Let's create this together. Let's put our budgets together. Let's put our minds together and build something really meaningful and long term. And I think that's traditionally been the problem of many cities is, you know, people are only in leadership for a specific period of time. So that thinking becomes more short-term than long-term, et cetera. So, yeah, um, we've heard about um, 
some of the issues around um, some ride sharing companies and uh, property sharing companies which have caused uh, some disruption in cities. Um, what other risks do you think there could be if the um, sharing economy isn't uh, integrated, I guess, properly? Um, and how can those issues be avoided in the future? I think that it's all about aligning value incentives. And I, I know I keep harping this point, but I think it's really important. And that is that if you create platforms where there's or networks where there's shared value and ownership, um, and I think cities are the best situated to do this, then citizens have a much, much greater um, chance for prosperity and equity than if these things don't happen. Because if you think about it, the people that are driving people you know, around or cleaning other people's houses or even to some extent doing home sharing are, you know, living off of their assets or their time. And as these companies grow and IPO and, you know, experience billion dollar exits, multi-billion dollar exits, um, the very people who are making these things run and uh, have the most value are actually being squeezed out of the equation and it's a race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. but I think it's I think it's cities' uh, responsibility to, as these technologies build and grow, to either offer alternatives um, that are more competitive, and possibly even using blockchain, uh, and or to heavily regulate them in such a way that I mean, you can, the, the the taxi cartel had you know a a uh, a sort of monopolistic position when it came to giving people rides on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but they also had lots of protections, right? They still do. So I think, you know, there's, there's an argument right now around like worldwide, globally around who's an employee and who's a contractor and what does that mean and what does that look like? But I think it's a greater question as we go deeper into the future of work and the gig economy whereby the majority of people are going to be working in a piecemeal kind of way where it's one thing over here, another thing over there, and you know, maybe even working half time on a couple of different jobs or projects, mm -hmm. regardless of whether it's ride sharing or some strategic management. You know? Yeah. It's just it's just the way it's shifting, shaping and moving. So I think cities play a vital role in figuring out how they want to create citizen prosperity long term. And you've mentioned um, this thing about value a few times. What progress are we making on, you know, sort of figuring out the value of things and time and effort and all that? I mean, there's a couple of different ways from a, a wage perspective. One is a, a, a living wage, um, mm -hmm. which looks at, you know, like, what are the costs of living within a specific city and then works that backwards. But I think what you're asking right now is actually a greater question, which is um, I think one of the most important and meaningful questions of our time and maybe throughout time, which is how do we define value? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value that goes unaccounted for like childcare and elder care and, you know, taking care of um, family members who are disabled perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, and that is not included in GDP. It's not accounted for. It's not compensated. 
Um, so I think, I think that there's some really meaningful questions when it comes to the value and values and they're, they're intrinsically connected. And yeah. those are the conversations that we need to be having even on a city level is what, what are our values? You know, like what is this city value and, and, and every decision, are we following our values? Yeah. And so you've um, mentioned um, blockchain a few times, and I'm interested to find out um, the role that, that it can play in this area. But first of all, I think even though it's, you know, headline after headline about blockchain, it still seems, you know, it's still some people are struggling to get to grips with the concept of the technology. And I count myself um, among that. I mean, I do get it at a high level, but sometimes you can only go so far and you lose the thread. So I wonder if you can give us, you know, your words um, to explain it. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been asked this question, but blockchain is essentially an agreement that's written and shared um in a ledger that exists in multiple places that other people can verify that something was actually said or done mm -hmm. that something could be a transaction an agreement a contract uh, uh, anything basically anything from did you recycle that can to when the work is complete, hit a button and the smart contract will automatically trigger payment. Um, so it's a way of when you couple blockchain technology with, a, with smart contracts, um, it enables this really clever thing called programmable money, whereby you can create incentives along with you could call it even, you could call it a token, you could call it a point system, like however you want to look at it, um, where you can program in uh, hopefully positive behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes that exists on the technology side where technology is playing with technology and, you know, sharing data. And sometimes that exists between technology and a human where a human is doing something and they're incentivized for that specific thing. So there, there's a lot of different ways where this, whereby this happens, which is why it's so confusing. You know, there's everything from cryptocurrencies to programmable money. And then, you know, there are use cases within cities, which are, you know, multifold. Um, I know the city of Berkeley, for example, is playing with, or at least some of the previous um, council members are playing with uh, creating what are they called? They're, they're basically mini funds. I forget the name of them at the moment, but they're mini funds that the citizens actually invest in for specific things that the city needs. And then mm -hmm. over time, those assets are utilized and have an actual value behind them. So they're backed by something. So there's, there's many, many, many different ways uh, to utilize blockchain or even the thinking that happens within you know, just considering value. And if you could create your own money, like what would it look like? What would you activate within it? Like who would it go to? How would it be distributed? You know, that's a, that's a valuable exercise. I think <laughs> for anyone to think about, especially a city is if we could create our own local money, which many cities do, right? They create, there's many uh, local currencies that still exist, but if a city could create their own money, 
how would it how would it operate? What would the rules be? And so this this frame of thinking where we rewrite the rules of policy and transaction and banking and all of the things is really, really powerful. And it's able to be activated through the crowd, which is essentially a city, right? And so the way you've described it, you know, blockchain could really advance um, the sharing economy, but you also run this blockchain for good um, community. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about that and if, um, you know, if by the name of that you have some concerns about blockchain being potentially used in negative ways. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, around the time that I started writing It's a Shareable Life, uh, the book on the sharing economy, the practical guide to the sharing economy, I started a community group in San Francisco called the Sharers of SF, where we had 60 events, mostly of over 100 people, including the founders, employees, and users of the early sharing economy. And that was really great. And around the time that I started really getting involved with blockchain and working with blockchain companies and doing storytelling and messaging and all sorts of other different uh, consulting things, I started creating a few events based on blockchain and bridging the sharing economy, but the sharing economy was not ready to be bridged to blockchain yet. I believe it is now, but at the time, those groups were very, very far apart. They were, uh, the founders of the companies weren't exactly um, necessarily excited about, uh, you know, the new companies that were sort of coming on board and at that time doing ICOs and kind of trying to change the rules of uh, how fees are charged or things of that nature. And I also went to a number of blockchain events and I just felt really out of place. Like I felt like it was very finance heavy and there weren't enough conversations around, you know, the future of work and cities and value and all of these things that we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. So I pretty immediately transitioned to creating a group specific to blockchain and I called it blockchain for good because, you know, I think the social impact angle of what blockchain has the potential to do regardless of if you're a for-profit, non-profit, or a city, um, it is for good. And that's, I mean, it, it, has, it has the most potential for good, but it also has the potential for, you know, being used for business as usual, high finance, like um, top-down hierarchical sort of permissioned, that's how you say, like, basically uh, private blockchains. Um, so I you know, wanted to create conversations like we were having in the early days of the sharing economy, but around blockchain technology. So that's, that was the outcropping of where blockchain for good came from. And what are some of the, the work that you're doing through that community then? A number of things. So it started off with conversations around, you know, equality within like who's actually buying like early cryptocurrency and included in these conversations and who do we need to include from the outside to like how does how is the sharing economy involved to an interview with charles eisenstein who's a best-selling author on um you know the future of currency and ecology um and then moving into how do we create an ethical framework and then a series of protocols that uh, enable that framework uh, 
specific to blockchain, but including all emergent technologies like IoT and AI um, and VR and all the things that are sort of coalescing at the moment, robotics, you know, and think through what are the future implications of these things and how might we have a global conversation about technology ethics because all people are stakeholders of technology, all of them. Mm-hmm. So, so how do we, when there's a, a differential in terms of people's knowledge base and, you know, their specialty at this point, like how do we, how do we create conversations where everybody or at least as most of everybody can be involved as possible. So that's, that's the next initiative that we're working on is a, is a, you know, global conversation around an ethical base that is um, looking for not consensus, but the arc of agreement in the conversation. So more of a liquid democracy format for that. So lots of things. Keep us posted on that. That sounds really interesting. So keep us posted. and so just to, to summarize, you know, what are some of the um, trends you see coming, coming soon and a bit further down the line in the sharing economy? So there's this thing called platform cooperatives, which I haven't mentioned. I mentioned platforms and I mentioned, um, you know, sharing ownership and creating new ways to do these things. I think that, I think that the sharing economy, blockchain, cities, and platform cooperatives are going to have a convergence in the next, let's say, three to five years, which is going to be really, really powerful and affect like industry quite a lot. Because as I've mentioned many times, I think on this uh, podcast, cities are best situated to benefit citizens and create a form of crowd ownership and sharing. So I would, if you're in charge of a city or involved actively, I would say look at all of these things from, you know, educate yourself on blockchain and the possibilities of that so that you can think through that lens, platform cooperatives and what's happening within those conversations, the latest and greatest on the sharing economy and what's happening and what's not happening, (laughs) you know, where the policy issues are, uh, etc. Because I really believe that the future of the economy at large has to be shared value and ownership. Uh, and that's that's where everything's going from data to cars to houses to energy. Yeah. And could you just tell us a little bit more about what a platform cooperative is and what we should be, you know? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go to platformcoop.net, I believe it is. But platform co-ops are the cooperative business model, which is a business model much like a corporation or a nonprofit or a, you know, LLC. There's actually a delineation called a cooperative, whereby there's a set of principles um, that are really interesting, actually. I would look up the principles of cooperatives. So the idea is basically that, you know, there's all these cooperatives worldwide. Most of them are brick and mortar. There's one city in Spain called Mondragon, where the entire city runs on a series of cooperatives that are all federated and interconnected. Um, But the idea is taking that business model, which is where there's shared ownership for employees or shared ownership for users, um, value creators, et cetera, and mapping that to the digital environment or any environment for that matter. So it's, it's, it's the idea of like say Uber drivers or Airbnb hosts actually owning 
the platform itself in addition to being paid like an equitable amount of money uh, based on what they're actually creating versus the platform taking, you know, 30 or 40 percent. Okay, that definitely does sound interesting and I'm going to go and look more into that. Um, but thank you so much for coming on today. It's been really interesting to speak to you. Um, definitely keep in touch and keep us in touch with the trends in the sharing economy and it's been great to speak to you. Thank you so much. Great questions. Appreciate it.